From the boardroom to the locker room, sport captures the imagination like little else. In this podcast, we talk to the men and women who make the big decisions and those who make the big plays to find out where sport is and, importantly, where it's going. But we do so through the only eyes that matter, those of the fan. And a very warm welcome aboard the pirate ship at the Reeve Gauche and to the Captain's Table podcast, brought to you by Are You Not Entertained and our great friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. I'm Giles Morgan. I'm not actually a captain, or indeed a pirate, but a vague ancestor of my family, Captain Henry Morgan, actually was one, and his family all came from Wales as well. For 30 years, I have been lucky enough to travel all over the world as a boring old marketing suit in the sports industry, which included having arguably the best job in the world as head of sponsorship at HSBC. Along that journey, I got to rub shoulders with the good, the bad, and the ugly from the world of sport. And having ditched the pinstripe suit for breeches and the red waistcoat and cutlass that befits a pirate captain, I set out to create this podcast where every fortnight I simply ask my special guests from the world of sport to share their own personal memories of being a sports fan and how that passion has affected and shaped their lives. And ahoy there, my hearties, and a very warm welcome back to the Captain's Table podcast. I'm the captain. It's been a bit of a bit of a while since since we last last met and for many of us that we've had a really welcome return to some sort of sporting normality some epic football at the euros cruelly dashed for england wimbledon as ever never disappoints the open championship and the british grand prix all bucket list events and just the reminder of why we all love being fans of sport and it was lovely to get off the boat for a bit and go to a few of these events and I would like to thank Loch Lomond Whiskey for hosting me and my mate Gavin Hastings and John Inverdale at the Open. We had a brilliant time. Uh, we tried every single one of their gins and whiskies. I can report they are all delicious. And I should also shout out the wonderful team at Match Hospitality and to James Byron for hosting me at Silverstone. What an epic race, Lewis Hamilton. And it was in the most luxurious of surroundings. Far far nicer than my boat. Well, my guest this week is, I would argue, the perfect and most dangerous passenger a pirate could want on his ship. David Flatman is a former England prop. He's now a broadcaster, a podcaster, a lover of butchered meat, fast cars and motorbikes, a man who lives life. What could possibly go wrong on board? So let's get him on the show. David Flatman, welcome on board the Reeve Goshen to the Captain Table podcast. Pull up a chair and make yourself at home. You can say something now. Oh, right. Sorry. I'll do that again. <laughs> sorry. I was wait. Oh, sorry. No, go. I'm ready. To, I didn't. I thought you were still going. Start again. Sorry, guys. Okay. And then that will be the last difficult question you get. Okay. <laughs> That's it. <You're> stumbling. <laughs> this is this all goes well. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you, Giles. Thank you for having me. And I, I am relatively comfortable. I'm in a, um, I'm in a really cool like leather office chair that I got as a gift from a rugby mate years ago, and I've just moved house. And I've done something to it in the move, whereby it no longer moves around in circles. It's a swivel chair. It also doesn't recline. So I am particularly upright at this point, which now is comfortable. But I've got an old props back and neck, so pretty soon it'll be uncomfortable. But I will endeavour not to, you know, allow that to stifle the quality of this um, presumably mid-level podcast. M- mid to low <laughs> level, but it's you know what? It's it's really nice to have one guest on board who has admitted that they are erect in their chair. <laughs> I am. Um, full, I'm at the moment. I'm alarmingly erect. For, but well, um, that, yeah, yeah. And I, sh- I should just. I should just say as as. As you know, this is a, a pirate ship, and thank you for bringing your 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 uh, your chair on board. You've got to be uh, beware of all the pets and the dogs and parrots you've got on board. They're everywhere. They get everywhere, and they may peck you or bite you. So just be careful. But enough of this nonsense. You're my guest on board. I need to get you a drink now. 
you'd expect rum, I suspect, because I'm a pirate and that's what we do, but we don't. Uh, this is a classy ship, and so the usual tipple of choice is therefore Loch Lomond Scotch single malt. Do you like whiskey? And if so, how do you take it, sir? How do well, you actually, take it? It's a coincidence because I tried whiskey once years ago and from an expert and this, you know, and it was it was a rugby trip and it was all very macho, macho and sort of racked with bravado and it was necklace and I said, I don't like it and it put me off for years. But I went to Japan um, for the Rugby World Cup a couple of years ago with with ITV and they and they sent us on, you know, you get a couple of experiences here or there on your days off. Um, and we went to a whiskey tasting thing and they there's some gorgeous Japanese whiskies and I I was trying and I was really trying because I'm thought I'm trying to be a grown up here um, and like this stuff um, but I still tend to choose a pint when I go to the bar but I, they kept they kept giving me all these different whiskies and I said that's lovely thank you thinking I don't really like it these lovely expensive Japanese whiskies and then they gave me an old Scottish one an old Scottish single malt and I absolutely loved it. And that is what I've got. I've got a couple of bottles of old Scottish whiskies. I've now got a lovely bottle of Loch Lomond, which I, believe it or not, I, I like it just neat with nothing in it. I started having it with ice, but then I got a learned friend who mocked me for that and said I was watering it down. So I now just have it in a cold glass. I put the glass in the fridge for, you know, the afternoon or an hour or whatever, have it in a cold glass, which I permit myself. And it actually, because it's very, very hot where I am at the moment in Bath, and it actually cools me down quite nicely. So um, I'm learning to love it. And I'm, I feel like a proper grown-up now. Good man. Well, you never know. Loch Lomond might sign you up. They're signing up every other sponsorship in the world. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. that funny rugby league. I mean, but they must be signing up everything if they sign me up as well. Well, look, <laughs> I'm going to get the uh, the steward, Paul, to get you a nice cold glass bottle of, of glass, probably, bottle maybe later, um, of their single malt. So Lovely. that's great. Now... You're an interesting chap to me. Um, you were a good rugby player. Um, but is it fair to say, would you think it's fair to say that you are probably more well-known for all your broadcasting and podcasting and the entertainment you do within the sports industry? Or do you still hold your sports career up to where the fame came from? No, I, I mean, whatever whatever notoriety there is, I think, um, I think it's... I always think it's very important to you know, um, remember where you came from in the words of take that, never forget. Um, but I think, I think just acknowledging why you got a leg up, um, if you got a leg up, um, is important because, um, and I, I originally started, you know, doing a bit of punditry and a bit of analysis. You might want to call it that it's punditry for Sky Sports uh, on the premiership when I was an injured rugby player at Bath. And my, my sports, my rugby career was fine, you know, compared to my next door neighbor, who's a, big Bath fan and played until he was 45 for the local vets and all that sort of stuff. My career was, you know, was stratospheric. I played for England for God's sake. He can't believe how amazing my career was compared with most of my peers. You know, the chair I'm sitting in now was a, I've broken it, but it was a gift from Danny Grucock, who's a great mate of mine. And he's got 69 caps, couple of lines to us, one world cup. Ollie Barkley's just popped round to borrow my car to take some stuff to the tip. Cause he's got a smart car and I've got a big four by four. His career was much, much better than mine. So the people with whom I associate on a daily basis and professionally, when I go to work, I'm going to work with Lawrence Benke, with Austin, with Matt Dawson, Paul Grayson. These people were significantly better than me. But they, I view it as, so I, I must say I'm not terribly bothered about my rugby career. I could have done a lot more with it if I'd A, been more talented. That's a joke, but it's true. <laughs> also, if I'd had better luck physically, I got some nasty injuries at rubbish time. So I got sort of... I was in line to start for England a few times and finally get some starts against big teams. And I got injured and I wasn't out for a few weeks. I was out for 18 months or 10 months or six months. And that's just the way it goes. I would never have been a superstar. I wasn't athletic enough um, or skillful enough, but I, I, I could have done better if I'd been luckier and probably drunk a bit less in the first few years, maybe, but we had a wicked time. Um, so I don't, and how did you but, know then that broadcasting, when you got this, this shot at doing it when you, during a bath injury and they plonk a microphone in your hand and say, analyze, were you already known as one of the sort of, uh, I can imagine a vocal lad within the, within the bantering of the club scene and a funny guy that therefore they thought you might be able to turn your, turn your um, skills towards broadcasting. Yeah, I talk a lot. Um, and you'll see that now. Um, this might be the longest podcast you've ever done. No, but I, I talk a lot and 
I like talking. I like listening. I have opinions on things. I'm not necessarily, I don't think, I'm reasonably self-aware, but you know, I know that I got that gig because I had a long premiership career and a few caps. That's, that was my leg up. But from there, you have to be, I think to you know, last a long time, you have to be an icon, you know, a proper legend, or you've got to be really good. And, you know, someone like Lawrence. So that's, you bugger, that's you buggered then. Yeah, I'm knackered. Exactly, mate. I mean, exactly it. So I, I always thought I've got to be really good. At, I've got to try and improve at this all the time. And there's a bit of improvement to go. But if you're, you know, if you're Lawrence Delalio, he can't just survive forever on his caps. He, he has become a really, really engaging broadcaster. And I love working with him. He's brilliant to work with. And everyone loves working with him. People love hearing from him. So he was given a broadcasting contract because he'd done a couple of games at Six Nations, but he was a rugby legend. That's his leg up. My leg up was a premiership stalwart or whatever. We all got them to a different degree. Um, but I, I, I think it was, I was probably without knowing it always made to do this because I have, um, I love thinking. Um, I'm not massively bright, but I'm, I'm, I'm willing to think about things. I've also never found I've never found it that scary putting my opinion out there, even if people don't agree with it, because I've never regarded people disagreeing with me as aggressive. Frankly, I just don't mind. And people often disagree with me and they're often right. And I'm very happy to U-turn on things and very actually learn and change my mind and all that sort of stuff, all that stuff that's kind of not very fashionable in 2021 because we all have to adopt extreme positions on things in order to be heard. I don't, I sometimes do adopt extreme positions, but that's just because it's what I think. Um, I'm, uh, you well, know. And, I, that, I, and that's, it's refreshing because we live in an age where people's opinions are stifled. It's a fairly liberal world we live in. And I think people do. I think the vast majority of people, particularly sports fans, like to have points of view, even if they disagree. So all, all, all strength to you because I, I think your career has gone brilliantly well within in broadcasting. And I think it has because one, there's humour, which is, kind of feels like it's very much part of the rugby the, the rugby tradition and heritage and you do represent that at the same time you're prepared to stick that very large neck out on the line which <laughs> not not everybody does no and that that's that's the that's the key i mean you you can survive without putting yourself out there but i don't think you can survive for very long and i think only the very 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 the most 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 iconic of all icons will survive putting nothing out there um, and I'm I'm a I'm a million miles from that category, and we all know that. So it's not false modesty. We all know that. So I need opinions, which is why I spend so long thinking about things I might be asked when I. That's why I prep so much when I work on in sports TV because when I give an opinion, if it's going to be a punchy one, I don't want to fluff it. I want to really, really believe in what I think. Um, and on the sort of the corporate scene where we first met, Charlie, you know, I, I. I host events, I talk a lot, uh, you know, I speak a lot of events, I compare a lot of events and I absolutely love it. I love it. It's my, it's about my, well, it's up there with my favourite, the things that I do really with my life, well, standing on I the stage I, and staying I don't know if this, I don't know if this is the time to tell you, but when we first met and you were doing some work for me, it was because you were cheap, but there we go. It oh, gotcha. Oh, it, that, that's another funny one. That's another <laughs> yeah. funny one because I get a lot of players now retiring or coming towards the end and saying, oh, what'd you charge? What should I, I want to do a bit of this. I want to do a bit of telly, do a bit of corporate. And it's like, well, that's fine. But firstly, you've got to be really good. Secondly, there is a period of, Take what you can get, mate. Take anything you can get. I remember Gabby Logan saying to me, when it comes to TV and corporate stuff, do everything you can to be as good as you, to be justify an increase in fee and then start to be selective. And, you know, it, it's really, really interesting. And, you know, it, it's absolutely, I mean, I would have got out of my first hundred gigs, I would have got 85 or 90 of those because I cost a quarter of what Martin Bayfield cost. I know that. That's fine, but it builds up over time. And, of course. You know, but we'll here's an inter this is an interesting one, right? So they say that sports people, they have to, off well, they have to encounter two deaths in, the, in their life. They're, they're, they're the end of their sporting career and then their natural death in hopefully many years after that. Do you think that in a sense that th this gift of broadcasting and podcasting as it's become now as well, that has come to you that as you transition from rugby player through retirement and into doing what you're doing now. Has that, in a sense, maybe anaesthetised the sense of disappointment that you weren't in the game because you, you had to retire, but you're still as much as involved in the game of rugby as you ever were? I think it's it's such a 
it's such a brilliant question and it the, the two deaths enduring two deaths is i've never heard that used before but i'm going to nick that and take that as my own um <laughs> if you don't mind uh, it's exactly Pleasure. it and, and i didn't i didn't mourn my i didn't mourn the loss of rugby from my life in a playing sense um because i didn't i don't miss it as a player I never have because i was struggling physically by the end a lot of knocks and all that stuff I don't miss it hugely socially because I'm still in the game, as you say. So I, I don't have to do without that. Um, I haven't done what my mate Julian White has done, which he wanted to do, by the way, which is go from being in a rugby team to being a beef farmer in Leicestershire who leaves his phone at home during the day, doesn't talk to anyone. He likes the solitude. He likes just being with his wife and kids and cows. And that's that. I, you know, we're not all like that. So I think I don't have to mourn it in that sense. But I really mourned it because I... I, I the death I endured was the death of my identity as I saw it, and it. I'm you know I remember Steve Borthwick once saying rugby mustn't define you, and I remember hearing it and panicking in my mind, thinking it does. It's everything that everyone knows about me, and I know about myself. And I find myself now at 41, absolutely. I feel like I'm at the beginning still of a voyage to coin the you know we're doing the pirate thing, a voyage of almost self discovery. Like where I'm going to be in 10 years, I have no idea. And that is and how, excite, how exciting brilliant. that is, right? Yeah, it's great. There are scary bits, but it's great, mate. And I, I feel like I, I genuinely, I'm not this. I don't mean this is a, in a, in a sort of an arrogant sense. I feel like I can do anything, and I might be very wrong, but I will try anything, and not through desperation, because I feel adventurous, and I feel, I feel capable, and I don't feel afraid of being crap at something and being asked never to do it again, please. You know, so I would, I'm that's what's got me this far and it's what will get me hopefully a bit further. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure it will. And, and, and you are going great guns. Let's go back a little bit to the young David Flatman, the young, the young lad, because you are a sportsman and you, you played at the very highest level. I'm interested, as you know, this show explores a little bit people's own passion for sport, particularly being a fan even more than a, than a player. So do you know what your earliest sporting memory is uh, as a little boy about watching sport and what sport it was? Oh yeah, uh, well, uh, unoriginally it was rugby. I I liked football. The only reason I really watched football was for John Barnes when he was my absolute hero and kind of still is. I just loved him. And whenever we played football in the street, I was a a fat right-footed kid who could barely had no hand-eye coordination, but I was always the left-footed silky beautiful legend John Barnes. Um however, um but really my clearest sporting memories are Chris Oti playing for England was my favourite player uh, just by a mile I was desperate to be Chris Oti um, again playing on the wing scoring hat-tricks for England not a lot like me um, <laughs> and my dad taking me to England against Ireland I think and Rory Underwood scoring in the corner and it, you know my dad took me to football matches too I went to watch Newcastle against Sheffield United Sheffield Wednesday at St James's Park and when we were up there visiting family and I kind of loved it, but it was such a violent experience. There was a massive fight. There was there were two kids fighting who were about my age, probably nine or ten, punching each other in the face. And I'd never seen anyone punched in the face before. So I didn't want to be part of that, really. So I really stayed away from football as a kid because I saw it as very aggressive and rugby, weirdly, is very welcoming and warm. And I'm sure there are thousands of lovely warm welcoming football clubs around the country on Sunday mornings but I thought all football was like Wednesday you know and it was horrible yeah. so I, um, was it and, your and dad I, who took you to he took you to Twickenham was he, yeah took me to Twickenham took and, me and also was, it, on the Euros. was it your it was it your dad who kind of got got it all going the fans oh, yeah of, of yeah and he, and he and he saw that I loved it and never never pushed me um never had to push me but he took me on the Eurostar to watch you know we weren't wealthy but we went we went on the Eurostar to Paris to watch France play the All Blacks and Jonah was playing and we were like in the third or fourth row. Like, I mean, just these. And then I had the opportunity. It was like, well, not only do I love it, but I also, by the time I'm 15, 16, 17, I'm thinking I might be quite good at it. So not only am I going to, you know, I can watch these guys forever. I can still do that, but I might get a chance to play against Jonah. And I did. And I played against Jonah at Twickenham and doesn't matter how cool you are or how many caps you do or don't get how much dough you do or don't earn one of the coolest things i've ever done and will ever do is smash jonah loma in the tackle at twickenham i mean technically i didn't smash him someone else tackled him and i jumped on him as he hit the floor <laughs> but i got him i got him i nailed him so and i you know and 
I tackled used Van der Vesthazen at Bloemfontein off the ball again, but only because my dad said, whatever you do, get him because he's the best and just got to get him. And I moved, I went out of defensive formation, left a big hole, which could have been costly, but luckily wasn't, but I got him. And, you know, these are, these are in my mind, these are my heroes. So I got to play rugby against them and it's just really cool. Well, I was going to ask you, so you're a rug, young, young rugby fan. You, you're beginning to develop a, an aptitude for the game yourself. Did you have a club side that you fell into or was it very much England first? And who are your heroes? Who are the posters on the young flats wall? Who who, yeah. who, who, who who are your real heroes? You've mentioned a few. Well, the poster, the posters were Gloria Estefan and Whitney Houston and a bit of Guns right. and Roses in there to balance it up. Um, <laughs> but no, I, I supported... I. I've never massively supported single teams in different sports. I love all sports, but I've never really had properly supported one team over another. But I, um, it was England, but I loved, uh, I liked Harlequins and I loved Bath. And then I, you know, having got the opportunity to play for Bath was just the coolest thing ever to me. So I remember saying yes. And they haven't, my agent said, they haven't told you what the salary is yet. And I said, oh, I don't care as long as it's similar to this. And, you know, it was like, you know, I'll be coy, I'll be, I'll be candid. It was like 10 grand more than I was getting at salaries. Like, no, no, you could get loads more than that. So I've said, yes, now I'll sort that out. Then I'll sort that out in three years. I just didn't care. I just had to be here. So, um, and I've never regretted that. So I, I, I didn't necessarily fall into, uh, supporting single teams, but my, my, my favorite, well, Chris Oti obviously was one of them, but I loved Gareth Chilcott. I loved Ben Clark. Um, I love Peter Winterbottom, Dean Richards, but my really my two favourite, favourite, favourites. Well, obviously Mickey Skinner because he's everyone's favourite, but Mike Teague and Stuart Barnes were my absolute favourites. And that is why I hope Stuart Barnes never listens to this podcast because every now and again we might be in the same sort of restaurant for dinner and we might share a bottle and I don't want him to have that over me, to be honest. No, it would be an awful thing for him to have that. Yeah, and yeah. and tell me, so you went to Twickenham as a young boy, and that was probably if you were the Chris Oti, he scored that hat trick against Ireland in around eighty seven, eighty eight, I think. Yeah. Um, but where is your favourite stadium? I mean, you've played at Twickenham. Is Twickenham therefore your favourite stadium as a fan, not as a player? No, where as do a you fan. Love to go as a fan, it's nowhere near. Actually, I'll be completely frank about it. I mean, uh, England played Ireland a few years ago, and. Um, the basically uh, without being too boring and technical a tight head got injured and they had to put a second choice loose head at tight head which meant he got mullered in the scrums crowd loved it atmosphere was the best it had been for years partially because of that dominance that that sort of primal dominance that people love but as a rule I've always found Twickenham for England matches a lovely place to watch rugby for me because I, I like it quite quiet so I can concentrate on the game actually so it just <laughs> hasn't been the most raucous place um Wembley's a great place to watch rugby. I, watching Argentina and New Zealand at the 2015 World Cup was one of the best experiences. I mean, I, I commentated on it, but that didn't ruin it, believe it or not. Yeah. And then Yokohama for Yokohama for Japan against Scotland in the last World Cup was the most... I, I commentated on that game with ITV and that's the most emotional I've ever been at a sporting event. And there was nothing to feel sad about, but it was just so loud and so special that... A couple of times, I think Nick Mullins came to me and I couldn't speak. I mean, I think um, Scotty Hastings, I think at different points, we both were just finding ourselves crying. It was the most bizarre thing. And I'm I'm a bit of a crier. I'm quite an emotional guy, but I've never cried at work, I don't think. And I was, <laughs> I was not for six, but I think favourite grounds. I mean, once you've played at, against the box at Bloemfontein, I mean, and you've played against, I played against Argentina in Buenos Aires when, and I say this respectfully, when playing against Argentina was brutal. Not just yeah. difficult because they're good, when it was savage because they were violent and good. Um, that was a particularly hostile, that's the most hostile place I've ever played sport. And uh, we managed to win, which was amazing. But yeah, that, those two places really. Twickenham would be, I love it because it's quiet, but that's probably an insult <laughs> in there somewhere. So uh, we've all been locked down over the last 18 months. It's been weird for sports fans because everything's been, I mean, you've been lucky enough to broadcast because we need we need the voice to come through our television. But as a sports fan, therefore, I think I know the answer, but do you like to watch live sport or do you prefer being at home with a bottle of red or do you like being in the pub with mates? To watch a big rugby match, where do you like doing it as a fan? Uh, well, again, great question because this... Um, absolutely never watch big sporting events in the pub ever and i'd only watch and if i'd only go to a, a pub for a sporting event i didn't care about 
um, which means I've never done it. Um, <laughs> live in the stadium, no. Uh, World Cup final. So I was working on the World Cup final, but I wasn't in 2015 in... Um, so, you know, 2019 in, in Tokyo, in, in Yokohama, whatever it was, in Japan, I was on the pitch side with the mic with Paul O'Connell and doing the match comments and stuff. So I'm working there. 2015, a good example is I've got best seats in the house at Twickenham for the World Cup final. And we watch the anthems. And as soon as the anthems are gone, I'm ducked straight out of my seat, straight back to the windowless media room so I can watch it on a big screen with the volume up and see everything. And I walk in and there's about 20... I mean, 20 plus ex-internationals in there who all, without coordinating, have come back to the media room to watch it in silence because you can't watch a game properly from the stands. So it's not bar humbug type stuff. Like we love the fact that fans enjoy watching it with a beer and screaming. We love that. But there are lots of fans at home who actually want inverted commas expert comment on the game and you can't give that if you've been there you can give pub comment which is great far more fun but it's not expert comment so i much much prefer to watch it my ideal setup is in a basement on my own absolute silence with a coffee a notepad and no one coming in for an hour and a half which is a bit antisocial i've got, I've got I, an I, image I of fi- i've got i've got images of 50 shades of gray which i'm going to try yeah, a bit and get of that. out of my head and, and obviously a sex chandelier next to me just in case <laughs> for half time but that is how i enjoy it i i love doing that on my own yeah well i asked i asked my guests this question all the time and it may be that we'll have to bring you something in by tray or something but normally people like to go at half time down and get a pint and something to eat um what's your food of choice in a stadium in the stadium well i did get food poisoning from a wild boar burger at twickenham a few years ago so it's put me off those i once got told by a nutritionist um i don't know how good he was that there's more testosterone in wild boar than in any other meat so i've i said oh i'll have one of those it makes me but it ended up making all my hair fall out um so much testosterone i couldn't i was sick um so i think i i do like a hog bap i like a pork bap hog roast bit of crackling test the other teeth out load of apple sauce massively over the top and i'd probably like a pint of lager with that at a game of rugby that's what i'd like the cold lager right. well i will get you that that when we when we go to some ground somewhere i might have to take to cardiff just obviously yeah. for my welsh ancestry now midpoint of the show flats um loch Lomond whiskey they um they sponsor many things but they sponsor the open golf championship which means they always like me to ask people about golf which is fine if you're rory mcelroy has been on the show but you may not so the first question is do you play golf? Well, I've uh, I've got fused um, vertebrae in my neck and back, and I've had five shoulder reconstructions. Um, so the answer is no. <laughs> they don't. Weirdly, I end up I host quite a lot of golf events uh, for various people, and I actually the the real value in me hosting is that I don't know who I'm talking to quite a lot, and that <laughs> I I often know more than I let on. But I did introduce um, a pro golfer at an event recently, a little while ago, who's called Jordan Smith. I introduced him to everyone as um, major major winner Jordan Spieth, and he said, "I'm actually Jordan Smith." And I said, "I couldn't give a shit who you are, mate. You're Jordan Sp- Jordan Spieth now, so live up to it." And and you know, he had a flashy polo shirt, and his his baseball cap was the same color and same brand. So I thought he was a pro. He was a pro. So it's kind of I do I respect the sport hugely, but I look at it as it's a bit like watching Ronnie O'Sullivan hit a 147 with his left hand it's so unrelatable to me that I look at them as otherworldly actually but I do like a lot of sports I enjoy highlights package I probably won't watch there aren't many sports I, sports I could watch all day including cricket NFL I wouldn't watch whole games very often because uh, I feel like I can't sit down for that long unless it's rugby actually but um yeah I I kind of I love golf for its sort of unearthly skill uh, the the concentration and consistency needed I I find kind of i can't quite imagine what those people's brains and minds are like but like anyone else you know rory mcelroy pulls off a shot from nothing and a shot that seemingly no one else could pull off and i find it as magical as a golf addict finds it and watching tiger woods over the years has been glorious you know greg norman i used to love watching i used to love nick faldo my dad used to whack a golf ball every now and then. here and nick faldo coming up to the tee you know and we we love all that, but we were all very, very uncoordinated, ungainly family, so we never played much golf. And heading back to your own sport, just very quickly, a couple of questions on that, because particularly you as you were a front row, and for those people who listen to this show, the six of you who do, if you don't know anything about rugby, um, 
what what David Flatman used to do is be the hard bastard at the very front. So he kind of had to have shoulders like concrete. Stupid. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> who who was the best player that you ever played against, and who was the hardest? Um. The best is, I always say it's quite easy, then I name about six of them. But I think um, Jason Robinson was as, as difficult to play against as it gets. Um, I, because, you know, you, you know the, so the Lions are on tour in South Africa, or South Africa win the World Cup and all that. I mean, they have a genius in their team called Cheslin Colby. Now, he is a, he's a freak. He's a freak. He's Jason Robinson good. He, he can do everything. And when he's got the ball, there are times when the best defenders on the planet can simply do nothing about it. A bit like Ronaldo, a bit like Maradona, Pele, Messi, the greats. He he will be one of the remembered as one of the greats. I'm sure about that. Like when Jonah burst onto the scene, you knew what was coming, but you just couldn't stop it. And that's kind of awe-inspiring in its own right. Jason Robinson was unplayable a lot. Not just every now and again. He was unplayable a lot. And you think about the greatest players on the planet now, they all kind of have quiet games and they can kind of be marshaled out of games. You couldn't suppress Jason Robinson. You just couldn't. So he was the worst person to play against. Once we play, I played a club game against him on, on Sky Sports where it was Saracens against whoever. I was playing for Saracens then and he was playing, I think, for sale. We're playing for sale, yeah. And, um, or I was playing for Bath. I can't remember. But basically the lads stitched me up in comms because they painted the little image and Jason Robinson, we kicked off and we said, right, kick it to Robinson, get it in the hands of their best player when we've got all 15 in a line and we'll smash the little shit, right? We'll do him. And I was, I was, you know, as anywhere near as tough as you've made out, but there were two or three of us that were given a job. These three guys, two or three guys are really important. If you get a chance to smack them and put them off their game or whatever, do that. So, right, Jace is mine, right? So, <laughs> We run off, we run up and he gets the ball, runs straight at me. And I to say I don't get anywhere near him is would, would be to understate it. They actually, they did it up on the paint and they said there's five metres, there's four metres outside Flatman to his right and Jason's done him by six metres in a four metre channel. It's like if Flatman's <laughs> actually moved further away. I was moving to my left to cover him and he put the footwork on and he created a gap where there wasn't one and it was, it was five seconds eight seconds into a game I've never been fresher you know so he he would be the worst the best player I ever played against um, and he's not even from a, you know, another country he was that good James Hook wouldn't be far off but the hardest player and again you know it's easy to be hard when you're massive right so that's kind of obvious but then are they the hard ones are they you know how about the small guys who are just relentless? How about the Faf de Clerks of this world? For me, genuinely, they are the hard guys. And I played rugby with Kieran Bracken, the former heartthrob. He's hanging bloke now to look at. Horrible specimen now. <laughs> I remember playing with Brax and thinking, well, and Richard Hill, they don't punch anyone. They don't kick anyone. You know, but these, I, you know, Richard Hill was at the same time as Martin Corey, who was just nails, like unbelievably good player and nails. And I remember thinking, Cosa will punch or kick you. He'll do you. He's horrible, right? In a good way, complimentary way. Hilly's not like that, but he's so hard, you can't kill him. You just can't kill him. Kieran Bracken, you couldn't kill him. I mean, he was just relentlessly hard. And honestly, they are, I think those guys are harder than the Andre Fenters and those people who smack the crap out of you. I mean, that's easy because you're six, five, and 18 stone and got hands like buckets. Well, you should be smashing people, really. It's the little fellas that take you out week after week for 15 years that amaze me. So I even go the hardest bloke, Kieran Bracken, because he was just absolute nails, that guy. Very good. Now, just a final question on uh, on your fandom before we go to completely <laughs> random questions. Is, um, you know, in the world that we're we working in sport, we get to go to, 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 to events and we get invited occasionally and it's incredibly special. Is there one event in the world, anywhere in the world, that is on your bucket list that you haven't been to that you'd like to? Any yep. sporting event? Yep, State of Origin. State of Origin Rugby League is my favourite sporting event, and I watch it on TV. And I, I'm desperate to go. I was in Man, I was in Sydney when a game happened, and we were in a bar with the England team, and that was amazing. And I love. I actually genuinely love that more than I love playing for England on that tour. That was my favourite day of that tour. Uh, absolutely love it, but. I grew up loving, you know, really liking as opposed to loving rugby league, but loving rugby league really. Um, but state of origin is different level for me. And um, actually, and I that, and that rivalry is extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, between brutal. the two, the two uh, states, it's, it's real. It's real. It's not like it's not like you know, 
England Wales is now, where there is a bit, there is rivalry there. But 30, 40 years ago, they were allowed to belt each other, and that was proper rivalry because there was imminent physical violence and threat of physical damage, right? So, whether people like hearing it or not, lots of people love that in sport. You know, lots of people did like that, and you've got to stop it now, and that's right. But people did like that, and but the origin is is less violent than it was. But holy moly, that is a visceral, real, non-synthetic rivalry. There is is state against state, mate against mate, and it's hate against hate. You know, I just absolutely love it. And big boxing matches and stuff, I, I love all that. I'm quite into combat type situations, but I, yeah. Origin for me is number one. Well, maybe 2025 when the Lions tour goes down there, if you've got a gig down there, maybe that tends to coincide. I went in 2001. When was the Lions tour? 2001. 2001, yeah. Uh, yeah, and we, the, the next day after the first Lions test, when O'Driscoll burst onto the scene, it was a state of origin game. And I, you're quite right. I've never seen oh. anything like it. It was, and also Queenslanders really taking something seriously as opposed to rugby, which was the posh sport. This yep. one they cared about. Oh, man, All right, well, we'll deal. see if we can get to that. Now, Flat, this is the part of the show which I call the captain's broadside, where I will ask you a series of fairly random and, and, and obsolete questions. Just do your best. It's not too fast. So... Um, you've come aboard my ship, the, the Reeve Goshen, and we're free to sail anywhere yeah. in the world, wherever your heart desires. And obviously during COVID, that's been, this is a real luxury. Yeah. And this is a beautiful, as you can see, it's a pirate ship. It's got three masks and a Jolly Roger. I hope that's not a rude word. Where would you, <laughs> where, where can we take you? Iceland, please. Iceland? Uh, why, yeah, why still, Iceland? still never been. Desperate to go. It's beautiful. It's quiet. And... Actually, it's not too hot, which is quite, which is quite, a, quite a big deal for me. I don't, I don't do brilliantly in the heat, although I seem to quite often go on very hot holidays because everyone else likes to go to them, which is fine. Um, but it's, it's probably my, it's my number one. I've been to some great places with rugby and all that sort of stuff, and you know, been very lucky to travel a fair bit, and will continue to do so. But Iceland isn't that far, really. But I've still no, never been, and. The problem is okay, well, no one ever wants to go with me. It's no one else's dream holiday. Well, do you know, it's, fun, it's funny you should say that because Andrew Cotter came on the show, a fellow broadcaster like you, and now mm. a very, very famous dog man. Again, I yeah, that's yeah. not that's not doesn't come out the wrong way. Um, <laughs> he wants to go to the north of Scotland because that's his happy place. So I think he'd probably yeah. come to Iceland with you. You could be very happy together. See, I've I've, I've said to Cotter before, like I, his idea of happiness for a week is very similar to mine except he wants to go i like a long walk but my long walks are his warm-ups you know my <laughs> long so walk true. is six seven miles really that's quite a long way for me because i'm quite a heavy guy and um a fat bust basically but cotter weighs less than my lunch so he can do <laughs> 30 miles and i'm not up for that so i might have to meet him at the end but well, well talking of your lunch um the great thing about coming on board this boat i think is that um you well you sit around this beautiful table we're going to feed you and the first night, you choose the menu, right? So this is a three-courser. The cheese I throw in for free, so don't worry about the oh, cheese. You. We'll do the cheese. Thank you. What on earth will your David Flatman three-courser... And by the way, I've been waiting for this one for quite some time. I'm looking forward to it. Oh. I think it's going to be good. Yeah. What is it? Well, I mean, it's going to sound like you've prepped me for this question because I've got an answer, but I think about this stuff a lot. You haven't prepped me, have you? So <laughs> no. um, it would be... It would be an extra an extra large portion of steak tartare with a bit of Tabasco and, a, and an egg on top. A steak tartare to start. And I don't require any bread with that. I don't require anything with it. Just give me a fork or I'll do, I'll do it with no hands if you want. Um, <laughs> steak tartare. And the main course I've got, I mean, actually what I would like is a big old slab of Cote de Boeuf would be very, very nice. Not rare. I, li I like rare meat, but probably cooked to medium just some of that fat rendered down with a load of nice salt sprinkles all over it again don't need any vegetables with those but i would quite like um a rotisserie chicken to the side just to help me just to pick my teeth with at the end <laughs> i have been known to have coke de boeuf and a whole chicken before but they were in my slightly heavier days um if you want to put some vegetables on there you go for it and will i have pudding, will i be will i be eating those you might have those. I do love vegetables, but when there's meat on offer, that that's what I choose. Um, this is my dream meal. I'm, you, you're calling it, you know, Reeve Gauche first night. I'm calling it death row. Uh, maybe it's the same thing. Um, and for pudding, I'll have a large hunk of lemon meringue pie, please, with cream. Lovely. That is actually, I'm delighted. This is this could be a cracking supper. Right. Also <laughs> on this boat, 
if you can let's stretch this metaphor as far as we can. Um, we're yeah. going to give you a beautiful ensuite cabin, and it comes with a power shower rather than probably, but there we are. Go go with it. Yeah. Um, what song does Flat sing? In, and you've got to get ready for dinner. We'll obviously dress up and have number ones on. What what song will you sing in the in the shower that the crew might enjoy uh, you uh, giving a rendition of as you scrub yourself clean, ready for the big beef assault? Well, it's it's the, again. This is a well timed question, Jilo, because I was believe it or not, you wouldn't know it to look at me, but I was in the gym this morning in Bath and um, wiping everything down. Don't worry, very COVID safe in the gym. And my mate gave me a, who I didn't know was there. Gave me a, he's a painter and decorator. My mate Neil tapped me on the shoulder. He said, "Mate, will you?" shut up and I didn't realize I had my headphones in and I was I thought they had music on in the gym I've been going there for years I've never known it's a silent gym I've always assumed there's a music system but I don't talk to anyone I work on my own I like that I listen generally to audio books or serial killer podcasts whatever I listened to music today and I was listening to Caribbean Queen by Billy Ocean he said what are you listen to anyway and I was like this Do you know? he goes oh my god I thought you were better than that and I said this is some of the best music ever made mate so Caribbean Queen Billy Ocean there you go Okay, well, that's good. And uh, can you remember your first album that you ever bought as a, as a wee lad? Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way? You can remember it. Very good. And what was the it. first live gig you ever went to? Oh, God, ridiculous. Uh, my parents my parents took us to uh, Bobby Brown live at Wembley. <laughs> <laughs> it's my prerogative, is what he was singing. And... <laughs> We were, let's just say, we were the only um, six, eight and nine-year-old kids in Wembley that night. And um, it was going off in there. Um, we left just before the end to beat the traffic, but it was getting slightly inappropriate, put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and do you remember your first ever car? And if so, what was it? Oh, I'm an absolute car obsessive, Jilo. So um, it was a 1989 uh, Mark II Golf 8-valve black GTI uh manual of course didn't only came in manual small bumper version absolutely adored it and eventually joined saracens where they gave us club cars which were uh mondeo diesels which were wicked we all ragged those and hammered those poor things but my parents gave then my golf to our family friends for her first car she used it for years and eventually it went and i've tried and tried and tried to find it to buy it back and bring it back to its initial glory. I've even bought other old Mark II Golfs to try and rekindle that magic, but it's not my car. So I find it the most interesting thing of all is that there is something about the first car, which I don't think anyone loves the first car more than the the, the first car more than any other car you yeah, have. I, However yeah. great they get, it's your yeah. first car. Yeah, and it's funny. I've you know I've been a without brand dropping too hard i've been a land rover ambassador for a long time and and i love cars like i think about cars all the time and i don't go and buy loads of them because that i can't justify that but i've been really resistant over the years i've bought some silly ones but nothing crazy I, and i've got you know children and that sort of stuff so you can't be prioritizing cars but i get this gorgeous car and i change it every year or so and you can have what you want and i just i love it like the land rover guys i think really like me not because i was amazing at rugby but because I'm I'm literally constantly in comms with them about when does the embargo end? When can I read Matt Pryor's review of the Defender V8 long wheelbase? And they're like, mate, chill out. It's a week on Wednesday. And <laughs> Matt told us you've been texting him. Stop trying to get it early. I'm like, I'm obsessed by it. But still, if I had that old golf out the front, be I'd be this. very, very happy indeed. Yeah. One and, day. And Flats, do you have a do you have a, a, a hidden talent that the world doesn't know about? Do you I mean you can push, you can drive, you can eat beef. You can talk, but I mean, can you play the ukulele? Are you a virtuoso? Um, you know, is there something that you've got that people don't know about? Um, oh God, quite good at plaiting hair, actually. Are you? Because um, a bald guy, yeah. I tell you what, I am good at. I tell you what, I am really good at is dealing with my daughters, who are very, very rapidly, even though they're very young, in becoming hormonal teenagers. I'm especially good at dealing with that. And I think people who see me deal with it envy me because I'm one of the only people in the world who absolutely loves their kids being obnoxious and horrible. I love it because I think it's not really them on the inside. Then I, and it, they're so awful. One of them is so awful at the moment. It's amazing. It's hilarious. She's just awful. She's, I said to her, you're the worst bloke in the room, mate. There's good blokes. There's bad blokes. You're the worst bloke in the building. And she's like, I'm not a you. Are. And I said, well, so I love all that. Maybe yeah. that's a hidden talent. Maybe that's There's, love. Th that more, I think that's probably a book. You've probably got a book in you. I mean, if Cotter's done the How to Train Dogs, you could do one How well, to actually, Train... Well, actually, I've got, 
I've got a book I want to write that I haven't written yet. And it's nothing, nothing to do with rugby. Um, but there's a book I want to write, which is not quite on that subject, but it's, it's, um, it's kind of almost a journey, one sort of alpha male's journey through masculinity. It's quite an odd yeah. thing to the point where I feel I'm six foot, I'm about 19 stone. I lift weights about four days a week. I eat lots of meat. I drive a massive car. I like watches, expensive shoes, sport, beer. I am alpha, alpha, alpha. And I could not feel less alpha at, or if, if I tried, I'm, I feel completely the opposite. I don't feel macho. I don't feel bullish. I don't feel, I'm not aggressive. I just kind of look all of these things. So I, fi- I find the whole thing, I find so you're, you're like a crispy marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like if, you, if you saw me, if you saw me in the gym prowling around, you'd think, Jesus, that guy's, if he's taking steroids, they're not working. He's eating too much food. He lifts a lot of weights. He needs to relax a bit. He looks like a doorman, an off-duty second-rate doorman. Actually, I'm listening to Billy Ocean um, <laughs> and thinking about what I'm going to cook, cook the girls for supper that they won't complain about. That's actually what's going on in my mind. Well, <laughs> I, my final we, we question. Digress. <laughs> we digress. We digress, but only for the last question, which is you've had this amazing career and I think you're going to have many years of, of success. And like you say, the adventure, you don't quite know where it's going to take you. And that, that makes it even more exciting. But you, you've done a lot in your 41 years. And over the years, I'm sure you've acquired some very special possessions and, and things. This is a pirate ship. We're built to smuggle. If there's one thing that we could take with us and then put in a locker and bury safely so that you knew it was safe for all times, is there something along the way that you've got in your possession that you'd like to keep for all time? Or are you not acquisitive as a person? Um, there is, actually. But it's not... I mean, there are... I'm not... I just moved house, right? And I found in, as I was moving, I found three tubs of rugby jerseys, memorabilia, my England caps, uh, photos, stuff that my mum had collected over the years that she'd put in there years ago. And it's all in good nick and all that. And I was taking it to the charity shop, all of it. Not, but I've got an odd relationship with stuff. I see my old jerseys and I didn't take it. I've, you know, I've given those things away now, but I, I, I've got an odd relationship with stuff that reminds me of me because I'm perfectly confident and my apparent confidence isn't manufactured. It's real. I have insecurities like everyone else and all that sort of stuff. But I see reminders of my rugby career, which is sort of most of my life. And what they remind me of is how much better I could have done. So I don't enjoy seeing them. My mum has passed on, you know, they're still alive. My parents, she's passed on the odd bit. And I've got a couple of paintings that mean a lot to me. I have one Bath rugby jersey from a great year I had at Bath that I've had having a frame. It's not on any walls. It's in a box in the cellar. It probably won't make it to a wall. There's nothing rugby on my walls at all. But I think probably, um, weirdly, I'm sitting next to it. So I realise this is a podcast, so it is um, audio but I'm sitting next to these things and I keep them here and I'll show you on your screen, but no one else yeah. will know what they are, a pair of paperweights. Yeah. And they are just very heavy brass paperweights that look like old salt and pepper shakers, basically. And they were my granddad's and I love them and I've kept them just because for two reasons. One, my granddad was just a great bloke. Most people's granddads are great blokes, you know, so I think he was the, my best granddad because he's the only one I had, but he was my best granddad. But actually, it's the more, it's the, I think, purity of the relationship and the love I had for my grandparents because it's when you have nothing else, when you're a kid, you have nothing else to think about other than whether or not you love what is happening now. That's it. There's no consequence. It's not filtered by politics or to-do lists or mortgages or obligations or work or schedules or stress or social media loads of these things are wonderful in their own way but they weirdly they serve as a reminder to me that my kids don't have they don't have as much to think about as we do and that they don't realize it but that I on their behalf should cherish that because when I think of my old granddad and my nana it was just a purely all we had my granddad died when I was 23 he was a hundred right and my granny my granny died my nana died soon after him as is often the way she was 96 and I, all we ever had to do was love each other completely and that's all we did so there was no family but there was nothing i just loved them and that makes me think of them all the time well that is genuinely lovely and we will look after those very very carefully indeed 
Flats, I've taken up a lot of your time and you better scrub up because we've got dinner to... to um, <laughs> yeah, quite. We've got a cow to slaughter <laughs> and eat. That's it, so, yeah, and a chicken. Yeah. And, and the chicken, we can't forget that. Um, you've been a, a, just a wonderful guest and I've wanted you on that, particularly because we have a very good friend in Mark Durden-Smith and I thought it was very important that you come first on the show rather than them because that, that would be... That that will be series eighty five, I suspect. By yeah, you'd be desperate. And it, by the way, I did speak to him earlier. We had a we had a video call earlier about something else, and he was late to it. And this is not a joke because he was mucking out the ponies. I mean, it's a joke. The guy calls himself man of the people. He's a disgrace. Anyway, he's not. He's not a man of the people. That's because he's been on Channel Four doing a breakfast show in his dim past. So there <laughs> exactly. We go. Yeah, you've been brilliant. Thank you for, Thanks, for coming on the Reeve Goshen and, uh, and the Captain's Table. As I mentioned earlier, we are a classy pirate ship, and so we're going to leave you with our own special type of treasure to go along with the paperweight, which is a bottle of the 12-year-old single malt whiskey from our friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies. Flats, thank you so much for coming on board. Thanks, Jilo. Thank you very much. Well, that was David Flatman. Just, just gold, really. For all our listeners, we're so grateful for your support of the show, and, and we don't want you to leave with your sellers empty either. So our good friends at Loch Lomond Whiskies are very kindly once again giving away a bottle of their 12-year-old single malt whiskey. To be in with a chance of winning this bottle, head over to their Twitter page at Loch Lomond Malts and follow their instructions to enter. From all my colleagues at Are You Not Entertained, Roger, Grant and James, and of course the guys at Loch Lomond Whiskies, thank you for the, the support of the shows that we make. We're so grateful for your time. And if you get a chance, please tell your friends about us and get them to uh, rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podfix by searching Are You Not Entertained? If you want to follow me or get in touch, you can do so at Twitter at GilesMorgan71 or via email at Giles at GilesDMorgan.com. Until the next time, goodbye. Thank <laughs> you.